You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your might and your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> and he said to him, You have been given, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of a robber who stripped him, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... While traveling came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved to pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave him, gave him to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spent. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let's do the reading of his word. Friends, will you join me in a spirit of prayer? Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts collectively be acceptable in your sight. For you, O oh God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I know a woman who teaches online college courses in intercultural communication. And she happens to live remotely and travels all over the world over the course of the year. And then the students who register for her courses, they also live all over the globe. And that means that the message boards on this online course site are added to at all different hours as the students wake and sleep on opposite sides of the earth. And the other day, this professor noted that she was profoundly grateful and hopeful when she saw the messages that her new round of summer school students had started to post. They had been asked to post an introduction of themselves, including an answer to this question, why are you here? Why are you enrolled in this course which attracts people from all over the earth? And the other morning, the professor woke up and she grabbed her morning coffee and she sat down at her desk like she does each morning and she opened the course site and she swelled with hopefulness 
as she read each introduction, one after another, that spoke to this curiosity, this genuine and authentic curiosity that each student had with one another's backgrounds and cultures and values. Post after post spoke of wanting to learn, wanting to grow, wanting to learn how to better communicate across differences and divides. These students were reaching out. They were desiring to grow. They were wanting to be better neighbors to one another across the globe. These students, they were eager to hear one another's stories and to hold them. So in this morning's scripture, a lawyer approaches Jesus, and he wants to know, Jesus, what is it? What is the key to eternal life? What's the recipe for salvation? What are the things that I need to know and do in order to be right with God? And Jesus says, essentially, you already know what you need to do. It's been plainly said to you, and you already know it. You know what you need to do to live in accordance with God's will. And the lawyer does know, and so he recites back to Jesus that familiar verse that so many of us learned perhaps in Sunday school or even more recently, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind, and, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then, then in lawyer fashion, being one who is keen on detail and precise language and right and wrong, the lawyer inquires about that pesky last part that neighbor part. Because he wants to know the specifics. Who is his neighbor? Who is it that he has to love? And we know where he's coming from, don't we? Because it is one thing to love ourselves. It's one thing to love God. But it is a whole nother thing to love each other. When it comes to loving each other, when it comes to loving our neighbors near and far, that is where the challenge can really come up. That's where things get tricky and complicated. And so Jesus responds in a way that he is apt to do in his ministry. He does not give a black and white answer. He responds to the lawyer's question with a story, with the story of the Good Samaritan. And that's what I offer you this morning, that Jesus does not call us to live our lives exclusively through the lens of this abstract and distanced analysis, logic, reason, and objectivity. Jesus calls us to get a little messier than that. Rather, Jesus asks us to listen to stories. He asks us to activate that part of ourselves that we so often shut down when we distance ourselves from other people, from humanity, from an issue at hand. Jesus responds to the lawyer in story. Jesus asks us to engage in the listening and the sharing of stories as a part of what it means to be Christian as a part of what it means to follow him. And regarding the power of storytelling, writer and activist Janet Mock says this, telling our stories, first to ourselves, and then to each other and the world, is a revolutionary act. Because stories are what connect us to one another in ways that mere sterile categories and facts often cannot do. Have you had that experience too? Connecting with someone deeply after they've shared a story about who they really are, what really matters in their life, a story about perhaps the greatest joy they've ever had or the greatest sorrow they've ever endured. 
shared more than the rote categorical information of name and address and job title. Stories are what bring us together in meaningful ways, and stories have the power to change us and to move us for the better. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this really, really well. Jesus knew that he could activate the story-learning part of us, a part of us that has been used by humans across time. Jesus knew that if he could call upon that part of the lawyer, that would be more important and impactful than listing off who it is that his neighbor is. It was more important that the lawyer learned this expansiveness of Jesus' message of love and mercy through the story. And it's important to note here that understanding Jesus' ministry as being about story and nuance and the gray and complicated parts of life can sometimes lead people to anti-Semitic postures in their biblical readings. Sometimes people can read Jesus' story-based ministry as this next step, this more advanced religion, something that negates the tradition of structure and law that Judaism holds dear both in biblical times and today. But that's really not the case. So I encourage you not to go there because Jewish tradition is also very much based on context and story and analysis and this expansive teaching. Jewish rabbis and scholars have a rich tradition of teaching both historically and today. So let me be very clear that when we think about today's scripture, and Jesus' ministry, it ought not to be in a way that says that the Jewish tradition is in any way less than our Christian tradition. So when we talk about stories, a recent one comes to mind for me. I was speaking with a woman whose oldest child has just entered college, and she was reflecting back, as people do at that time. She was reflecting back on how different it is to be parenting her kids now, who are all teens, than when they were younger. And she said, when my kids were toddlers, I would tell them what the rules were. I would say, don't touch the stove, it's hot, and it'll burn your fingers. Or I'd say, stop at the corner and hold my hand before you cross the street. There was a right and a wrong. There was a safe or an unsafe way for them to be in the world and her rules were there to protect them. She didn't want them to burn their fingers or to be unsafe around cars, but as her kids grew, she needed to adapt the ways that she taught them and guided them through the world. An approach of dictating rules wouldn't cut it as their frontal lobes quickly developed alongside their desires to test out the limits of the world. So as the kids grew, her parenting strategy shifted more to one of stories. Like Jesus with the lawyer, she wanted to help her kids find answers to their own life's questions rather than dictating for them the right answer. So as her children came to her with the complex social problems of middle school and high school and beyond, she would respond to her kids with active listening, with questions, and with stories. With stories from her own life and the lives of those she knew and not just stories where she was the hero, stories where she was human. Stories that activated a different part of her kids' minds and hearts. Stories that allowed themselves to walk around an issue and see how they might wanna be in a given scenario. 
stories that connected, stories that acknowledged this deep complexity of life and humanity. Jesus' teaching in stories is just about that, the complexity of these waters that we swim in, the complexity of life and humanity. It's an invitation. It's an invitation not to distance ourselves from that complexity, but to be present to it wholeheartedly, not in a distracted way. The other night, I was at a vigil at the Boston Commons where we prayed and we sang and we listened to stories. We listened to stories of those who had been detained and separated from their children at the southern border and right here in Massachusetts. And a Boston physician and Episcopal priest testified to the trauma incurred by children separated from parents. She spoke of the lasting damage caused by even brief periods of institutionalization in a child's life, the ways that trauma affects attachment, learning, and mental and emotional stability long-term. And when we think about childhood trauma and adverse childhood experiences, we cannot stall out in a conversation about rules and order because lives are on the line and children are on the line, we have to compel ourselves to enter into the territory that Jesus calls us to enter, the space of gray and nuance and story, the space of acknowledging the complexity of humanity, the value of those lives of those who do not look like us or sound like us, This morning's scripture, which is all about learning from story, features a story that is all about the expansiveness of God's love. It's about the expansiveness of who our neighbor is, and our neighbors include not just those on Cliff Street or Nahant Road or Nahant itself or even the North Shore. No, Jesus says our neighbor is also the preschooler presently detained this morning at the border without the physical touch of parents there. Now friends, aside from Jesus, I think that the other best teacher on the topic of neighbors might be Mr. Rogers. And do you remember the song that he sang in each episode as he invited his viewers into this world of affirmation and friendship? I'm not going to sing it, you're welcome. Instead, I'm going to say it. He said, It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? And he goes on to sing of a desire to be in authentic relationship with those around him, a desire to be in community and friendship. This Presbyterian-trained seminarian graduate said, I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, So let's make the most of this beautiful day, since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please, won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? What might that look like? What might it look like to embrace this notion of wholehearted and compassionate invitation to others to be our neighbors? Friends, we numb ourselves to one another's stories when they are hard to hear, when they challenge us, when they make us feel sad or hopeless or powerless or overwhelmed. We distance ourselves. And we do it in order to protect ourselves and our ordered schema of the world around us, and it makes perfect sense, and we all do it. We all try to protect ourselves from one another's stories. 
but we can't selectively numb our emotions. And when we cut off our willingness to hear one another's stories, believe them, grow and learn and change from them, we cut off connection to our neighbors, near and far. When we do that, we go against this call in this story from this morning's scripture, this call to love our neighbors. We have to be intentional and hear the stories of people who are not just in our own demographic, not just stories like our own. We've got to seek out the stories of those who do not have the same lived experiences as we do, because those are the stories of our neighbors too. So let's allow those stories to emerge from the shadows, give them space, silence our own anxious, shattering, control, desire, and listen deeply to the humanity and the call from Christ that exists in those stories. I leave you with this prayer. Holy God, you sent your son Jesus to us to teach us, often using stories. So God, help us to be people who listen to stories from those around us people who use a rubric of expansive love and grace to make decisions in our lives, people who value one another's stories, and help us, O God, to love our neighbors near and far. Forgive us when we fall short of love for all your people, and help us to be bold and brave in our love of neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.